I've been reading about running. This is my relationship to running is that I read about it. I have a little bit of experience with running, but it was a long time ago now. I think when I was a child, I ran from time to time. I don't remember ever really enjoying it. I've heard of people who actually enjoy running. Have you ever heard of such people? You know anyone like that? I know a guy who does, uh, what's that, that uh, uh, the, the big triathlon race, uh, the Ironman. No, thank you. I enjoy reading about it. It's kind of inspiring, actually, what people can do. Even what people can enjoy doing. Uh, I was reading about running, and I found that people have studied some really amazing things about running. You know that they've done, like, science, I guess, studies to figure out what you should yell at runners when they run by. Like what actually helps them. Isn't that amazing? Like people have studied this. Uh, oh my goodness, I need a job as a scientist. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, one of the things they found out that really helps is if you actually use their name. What really doesn't help is if you say something like, well, there's only one more hill. When, when there's really three more hills. Have you ever thought about what might be discouraging? Like, and we're talking about running like a marathon. You know, the, I think, man, it must be really horrible when you get to the bottom of a hill. And I mean... And you see the hill rising in front of you. Not You're at the end of the downhill, but you're at the beginning of the uphill. And you know you're going to go for a mile uphill. Man, that might be discouraging. This uh, scripture we're looking at this morning talks about running. The scripture we read from Philippians talks about running. Paul talks about running three or four times in the portions of the New Testament that he wrote. And we have this here in Hebrews chapter 12. I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture in the Bible. Here's what it says. Therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Run with endurance. You know, when I wrote the title of this sermon, I wrote, So Run. And afterwards, I thought, oh, I shouldn't, that's not right. It should have been run with endurance or keep running. Keep running. Because so run sounds like you're just starting. But what we're doing in this text is we're coming in in the middle and the writer of Hebrews is the person on the sideline encouraging the runners. So, he says, run, keep running, keep running. And that really is the central sentence of this text. Keep running with endurance. Of course, this text begins with the word therefore. Therefore is almost always kind of important because therefore is a logic word, right? Therefore is a word that is telling us something about the logic of the thing we're reading. Whatever came before this word was a reason for what comes after this word. <clears throat> As you think about your life, it is a good idea to think about what is the reason your life is a therefore to? Did that make sense? What is the thing that is true that your life is the logical consequence of? What comes before therefore that makes sense out of you? and what you do in this life. Now this word for therefore, sometimes I talk about therefore because in Greek, therefore is this kind of a tiny little word. But in this case, it's not the tiny little word therefore, it's the big word therefore, which really we should translate with something like this. For this very reason, In other words, it's like uh, the reason in this case is actually really important. And what you have here in the book of Hebrews is you have suddenly the use of the big word, therefore. And what you have in the logic of the book of Hebrews is a shift from the theology to the implications of the theology. What is true, and this is exactly what we said a couple of weeks ago when I said, if the gospel is true, what shall I do? 
And we might say it like this, because the gospel is true, what will I do? When I have a mind focused on the truth of the gospel, a heart devoted to the Christ of the gospel, a life dependent upon the God of the gospel, moved by the spirit of the gospel, how will I do? What will I do? I have great freedom. And the question is, how does this change what I want? Suddenly, I'm, when I come to an understanding of the gospel, suddenly I'm running a different race altogether. And therefore, says all of that, because all of this is actually the case, for this very reason, what? And the very first thing is, we should keep on running. Now, you don't say keep on running to somebody who's not already running. And of course, the writer of the book of Hebrews is dealing with, not with a bunch of people he hopes will come to Christ, but a bunch of people he believes are in Christ, and he's encouraging them to stick with Christ. Now he says, for this very reason. Well, what was the reason? Well, it was in the last few verses of chapter 11. Through faith, they obtained the testimony of God, this great list of people, all these people who did this and this and that and the other thing and experienced this or that or the other thing for faith in, Christ, in God. They obtained the testimony of God. God's approval, God's declaration of the righteousness of Christ upon them by faith. And they experienced a wild assortment of things, and that was what we looked at last time, right? It was this wild assortment. Some of them experienced great triumph, and some of them experienced something you could call utter defeat, except that by faith in Christ they endured it and as a consequence still to this day live in fellowship with the living God awaiting their resurrection in Christ. So while it looked like defeat in the course of this world, human history, it was not defeat. They endured death, they endured deprivation, they endured all, you name it. They were sawn in two, the text says. Well, and then some of them experienced great victory out of non-existent resources. Seeing the provision of God in ways we would all call blessing. Every kind of experience by faith. And that's our, our reason. He says, well, they, they obtained the testimony of God, but they did not receive the promise 
The promise is the promise God made to Abraham. I will make you a great nation, and out of that great nation, I will bless all the nations. And God is announcing to Abraham and even to the devil in the garden the day after Adam and Eve fell, he says, uh, the serpent will crush your head. And announces the gospel at the beginning and the I'm sorry, this, I said the serpent will crush your head. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Wow, that was backwards. But anyway, that announcement of the Christ to come. And then to Abraham, he says, I will make you a man who can't have children, whose wife is, you're all too old, and she could never have children to begin with. Out of nothing, God makes the nation that he blesses. And through that nation, he brings us the Son of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that through the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his ever living to make intercession for us makes all of humanity, takes people from every nation and makes from them one new man in Christ. And blesses all the nations from the one nation through the one seed of the woman. So they did not receive what is promised. They died before he came. Because God had something better in mind for us so they wouldn't be perfected apart from us. So that the perfection of the people of God is in us as well as them. And all of us realize our true humanity in Christ. We are become complete people, complete image-bearing creations of the living God in Him. For this very reason, for this reason, That through faith, by the service of Christ, through faith, we receive the commendation of God Almighty. We are welcomed into His presence. We have access to the throne of grace. We have the promise of His provision on every minute of every day. We have the promise of the resurrection to come. For this reason, for this reason. Now he says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, so he's, you know, kind of repeating himself. Now it's very common for us to say that these witnesses are sort of watching us, uh, that the thing they're witnessing is our lives. But we're, we're going to come back to what they're witnessing. But there's the reason is the witnesses and the testimony of God to the gospel of Christ that we are perfected, are being perfected with them together in Christ for this reason. So who are these witnesses? We have a great cloud of witnesses. Well, we've already mentioned 
uh, it seems to me kind of clear that it must refer to all of those Old Testament saints that are mentioned in chapter 11. But there's some other witnessing going on in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 11, verse 4, you might recall, we read this, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying. Now, who's the witness there? Is it Abel? No. It's God. God is testifying. God is bearing witness to the righteousness of Abel. How is Abel righteous? By the testimony of God on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ that has been announced but has not yet happened. And so, God... He obtains the testimony because he's a man, he trusts God. And because he trusts God, he brings the right sacrifice, exhibiting his faith. And he obtains the, who's the witness? God is the witness. Chapter 10. Here's another witness. Therefore, when he comes into the world, okay, who's he? It's Christ. I'm just going to save time and just tell you who it is. It's Christ. When he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will... We have been sanctified, set apart to God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Who's the witness? Jesus is the witness. Jesus is attesting to his own offering for our sake. It's by the body, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, we are set apart to God goes on. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, (coughs) waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected. That's the perfection we saw at the end of chapter 11. For all time, those who are set apart. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Who says that? The Spirit. 
That's a quotation of the Scripture from the Old Testament. Who's speaking through the Scripture of the Old Testament or any Scripture? The Holy Spirit. And so he quotes Scripture and attributes the quote to the Holy Spirit, which is utterly appropriate. Now we have three witnesses so far. We have God, we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Through the Scripture. And on top of that, all the saints of chapter 11. <clears throat> Those are the witnesses that are surrounding us. What are they witnessing to? We often think what they're witnessing to is whatever we're doing. <laughs> In other words, they're watching us. They're witnessing what we do. Well, that might be true, but that's not what this text is emphasizing. It's not about, it's not, this text is not there to say, hey, all the saints of the Old Testament and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they're all watching to see what you'll do. That is not the meaning of this text. Here's what they're witnessing to. One, God is trustworthy. He's made a promise, and he is keeping it in Christ. And all of these witnesses declare that reality. That's really the main thing. The promise of God fulfilled in Christ. That's the testimony of all of these witnesses. In Jesus' mouth, in chapter 10, we read, by God's will, we have been sanctified. That's number two. This is the testimony of the Lord Jesus over us. By God's will, we have been set apart. God has come and taken us and set us apart to himself in Christ. God has staked his claim upon his people. That's the testimony of Christ. I have come to do your will, and by the sacrifice of Christ, we are set apart. Sanctified, made holy, possessed by God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The Spirit's testimony, number three, is the promise of the new covenant we just read. The Spirit testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and on their mind, I will write them. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's the promise of the new covenant. When God actually indwells his people by the person of the Holy Spirit. And by the person of the Holy Spirit, we embody the law of God. It is not imposed on us. And suddenly we have a heart for the law of God. Suddenly the things that seemed like burdensome demands to us now seem like opportunities. Like Operation of freedom 
in our lives. Suddenly we realize that telling the truth is what we really should have wanted to do all along. Even when it seems to cost us something. In our unredeemed state, we were just natural born sinners. We resisted goodness. We pursued self-interest. We operated in a way that is kind of self-involved, even when it needs relation. Can't get there. And in Christ, we now have the Spirit who dwells in us that naturally obeys God. Now, we are in this strange time where the Spirit and the flesh are together in the life of the Christian. There's me apart from the Spirit, and there's me in the Spirit. There's me operating on my own. There's me operating in the power and direction of God. So there's a bit of a fight going on in my life. And I'm looking forward to that day when the fight's over and he wins. And when he wins, I will find my life way more satisfying than I find it today. That's what I can't get through my thick skull nowadays. I think this path to a satisfying life is somehow operating independently from him. That's the dumbest way to act at all. That's what got us into this mess. And so when I'm finally liberated from that, I will realize the great, good, blessing, and joyful life that is involved in obedience to God. And I have that sense even now by the presence of the Spirit in my life. The Spirit gives us the witness of the promise of the new covenant, which we are already parties to and one day will fully realize. The Father gives us the witness of imputed righteousness. In other words, because of the sacrifice of his beloved son, he looks at you and sees him. He gives you credit for the life he lived. Jesus walked his whole life in his humanity in utter obedience to the Father at all times. Perfect obedience to the law of God. And not just the, the codified law of God. Not just, he didn't just follow the rules. He followed the heart that's under the rules. He obeyed not just the written coded law, but the spirit of the written coded law. And he did so perfectly from the time he was born to the time he died. That righteousness is credited to you because of what he did in giving his life a sacrifice for sin. That's basically what the whole book of Romans is about, in case you want to read more on that. You are justified through faith, not because of anything you bring or offer or give or do, but simply because you receive it 
and he gives you credit for what Christ did. Because he staked his claim on you, he called you, he said, I will have you, and he has taken hold of you in him. That is what the cloud of witnesses is witnessing to. That is their testimony to us. That God can be trusted that he's made a promise and he is keeping his promise in Christ. That by God's will, by God's will, you have been set apart to God, claimed by God by the sacrifice of Christ. That the new covenant promises of the indwelling spirit and the life of joyful obedience are yours in Christ. That the righteousness of Christ is announced over you like it was over Abel and all of those other saints. In short, that's the gospel, the good news. The good news of the incarnation, the atonement, the resurrection, the ascension, and the promised coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the witness. Therefore, for this very reason, we too must run. We too need to press on. You remember that phrase from the reading in Philippians. Forgetting everything else, I press on. You know, I think... I only know about this, you know, because I do some reading, but I think runners that run marathons, the main thing they do is keep running. Don't stop. Press on. Keep going. This is what we were exhorted in earlier in the book of Hebrews when the people of God came right up to the promised land. And what did they do? They stopped. And the writer of Hebrews says, oh, don't do that. Keep walking. Go on in. Press on. Keep running. Now, he says, before he says keep running, he says laying aside. The, sentence, the main verb here is run. Run. But there's these other verbs around it. And you might notice if you look at your bulletin, I've arranged these things in this sort of step. They go like this, and then they go like this. And what you have here is a thing we call in Bible studies a chiasm. An X-shaped text that focuses on a point that goes from a one thing to another thing to another thing to the point to the thing that goes with the first thing, to the thing that goes with the second thing, to the thing that goes with the third thing. They, it forms this structure that is meant to aim you at something and help you see how it all works. The first step is laying aside. And you will notice that we're laying aside and Jesus is disregarding. He's laying aside, he laid aside something, we lay aside something. 
Then you have, we must run with endurance. And you'll notice that Jesus endured the cross. Endure, endure. And then the third thing is the race set before us, set before us. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So these things go like this in the text. And there's a thing in the middle. We'll see what that is. So what we do is we lay aside weight. Well, that makes sense. If you're running a marathon, you don't want to be carrying around rocks in your pockets. You, you, you leave everything behind that isn't related to running. Because you want to run with endurance. And if you've got weight, well, this will increase the chances of your giving up. You need to run with endurance so you get rid of stuff that isn't related. It isn't helping. This isn't talking about sin at first. This is just talking about anything that's not helping you keep on running. Do you have things in your life that are just distractions from keeping on running in the Christian life? Let go of those things. Why, why would you hang on to them? And that's the meaning of lay aside. It literally means just drop it. <laughs> if you're running a race and you suddenly realize that you've got a big backpack full of library books on your back, you don't have to agonize about the library books. Just drop them. If you've got a bunch of stuff in your life that isn't helping you maintain your focus on the race of following Christ, just let go of it. You don't need to keep it. Now, sometimes letting go of stuff will cost you a little something. I understand. But come on. What's your, what's your deal? Do we pursue? Do we run with endurance? So lay aside weight. Lay aside entangling sin. Uh, there's some along the path of our race, there's some roots and ropes and pitfalls and trip lines that we're prone to. But again, the solution isn't agonize about how hard it is. The solution is let it go. Let it go. Lay it aside. And here's the thing. Here's what I do. I'm running. I lay aside some sins that are easily entangling me, slowing me down, keeping me from running. And I press on. And then later on, I, feel, I suddenly realize that these things have a hold of my ankles again. It's very easy for a Christian to get discouraged under these conditions. It seems like every time I lay them down, later on, there they are again. That's why they're called the sins that so easily entangle. Because they so easily entangle. And we are so prone to them. We can find ourselves sinning before we know we made a decision to sin. So you should agonize and struggle and work to get rid of these things out of your life. No, just let go. Again, and again, and again, 
However many times, whenever you wake up and you notice, oh, something's hindering me in my pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it go and press on. Don't worry about it. Don't count how many times you've had to let it go. Just let it go again. You only have to do it one more time. Let it go and run with endurance. The word here is keep on running with endurance. The word for endurance is hupomone. It means to stay under. <laughs> keep on under. Something's a burden. In other words, when you're running the race, things are happening and things are going on. Things are discouraging. You go through times where you don't see how you can keep going. You're tired. Run with endurance. Just put this foot in front of the other one one more time. You ever, uh, I've, I've read some about mountain climbing. Have you read anything? Have you ever climbed any mountains? Some people have climbed some mountains. People climb Mount Everest. Somebody asked them why one time. They said, well, because it's there. I'm like, that is not a good reason, but okay, that's what they do. How do they do that? Because you know there's no air up there. How do they do it? They just keep on. They just keep on. They just keep on. And so in the Christian life, you will come to times where you are discouraged, where it doesn't seem like you wonder if it's even true, where you can't even think about how to keep on, just keep on. Run with endurance. Stay with Christ. Now here's the thing about Christ. He stays with you, period. He's always stayed with you. Okay. And because he does, you should stay with him. What is it? We're running the race set before us. The race, the race. The word for race here is like a competition like a challenge. And I look at it like this. What is this race? The race is how can I exhibit my new life in Christ? That's all. Whatever my path of life, you remember we read about all these crazy paths of life in the Old Testament saints. They're every which way. They have great achievement and great defeat and they just keep on in faith, how do we keep on in faith? What, wherever we are, whatever situation in which we find our lives, whatever we do for a living, whatever school we go to, whatever people we know, whatever, the question is, how do I exhibit the new life that I have in Christ? How do I bear the image of God? How do I show the love that I know? I am so well-loved. 
I don't even know how well loved I am. And how do I reflect that into the world? That's the race. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Sometimes it's like the most boring stuff you can possibly imagine. Last night we had lots of interesting talk about changing diapers. If you bring up a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you are exhibiting the love of Christ, or ought to be. You could. Even in the moment of dealing with the mess. In fact, I think it's dealing with the mess where we have our greatest opportunities to exhibit this love. There's a mess everywhere. How do we bring Christ to it? That's the race. Well, oh my goodness, we're out of time. How do we, where does this focus? What's at the center of this? You see, we lay aside every weight. Christ disregarded the shame. We run with endurance. He endured the cross. We Run the race set before us. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. What's in the center? What's in the middle of this X? It's called a chiasm for the Greek letter key, which is the X letter. Anyway, here it is. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The beginner and the finisher. Oh, so while I'm running the race, how do I know which way the race is going? I watch him. Because he ran the race. He is the author or the initiator and the perfecter or the finisher of the race, the faith. What the race is, operate by faith in Christ. How do you do that? Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Always give your undivided attention to the pioneer of faith, to the one who did go from the beginning of his life to the end of his life, always operating by faith in his God. Be, follow him. Pay attention to Jesus. This has been the point of the book of Hebrews from the very beginning. God has spoken to us in his son. Therefore, chapter 2 says, we should pay much better attention to what we've heard. Christ. Chapter 3 starts the same way. Chapter 12 starts the same way, fixing our eyes on him, the forerunner of our faith. To me, it's very interesting that we fix our eyes on him rather than try to figure out which way the race goes from here. You see, your life might lead you in, down many different paths depending on how you define the roadmap. You might be destined for, you know, Hollywood stardom. 
Ugh, we should pray for you. And, or you might be destined for martyrdom. You might be destined for great wealth or total poverty. Paul said, I know how to live with abundance and with nothing. His life was all over the map. Why? Because he just kept his eyes fixed on Christ and Christ led him wherever Christ led him. It, uh, you might go this way or the other way. The question is, wherever you are, how do you exhibit Christ in that place? How do you exhibit the sacrificing, redeeming love of Christ? Disregarding any shame that might be associated with that. Because you know the joy that is to come, that is promised to you in the day of the resurrection. Because you share the joy that Christ has. Isn't that funny? That's what Jesus said in all over the book of John. I'm, I'm sharing these things with you, disciples, so that you'll have my joy in yourselves. Here it is again. For the joy set before him, he endured. So we run with endurance because the very prize, the prize is him. We read in Philippians, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. To be found in Him is the prize. You have a lot of liberty about how you lead your life, what you do for a living, who you associate with, where you go, all those things. You can do whatever you want. And you can do whatever you want with your eyes fixed on Him. And so remembering what he, how the quality of his love for you. And if you're having, if you have that in mind, you won't be able to help yourself reflecting that love to the people around you. This text closes with this expression, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That was the closing of, chapter, of the first sentence in chapter 1. Having made satisfaction for sins, he sat down. It is finished. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And here in the book of Hebrews, we know that means he ever lives to make intercession for you. You're running along, you trip and fall. He says, it's all right, I got this. Jesus says that for you to the Father. That's all right, I got this. The Father says about you, well, I see him or her covered in your righteousness anyway. Stand up, keep running. If the gospel's true, how will you do? What will you do? The gospel is true. Let us Live our lives with fixed attention 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity, this amazing race that you have put us in. Lord, sometimes we get tired and discouraged. Father, I, help, I pray that by your Spirit, you would remind us of these testimonies, this witness that your promises are true so that we might run with endurance. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.